Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Ransomed by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you this morning for the wonderful account of Jesus. Jesus, we are so thankful that you did come. We stand here today to celebrate you and so therefore as we open your word we ask that our hearts would be opened and that our spiritual eyes and ears would be opened in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. If you'd like to meet me in 1 Peter, um, we will, this week we will be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Next week we will finish 1 Peter chapter 1 and then of course we move into Christmas time. So uh, we will finish the first chapter this year but I want to talk, I want to recap briefly for those who weren't here last week. Um, we move from, in chapter 1, Peter has uh, profoundly outlaid this wonderful salvation and, and this new identity that we have. We're exiles now. We're, we're like aliens. This is, this is not our home. We are not to build a kingdom here. We are not to see this life in this world as everything, but we must live our lives with the expectation of the next world. Uh, as he outlays this salvation, he moves in verse 13 to our response, and that is girding up the loins of our minds. And we understand that that basically means preparing ourselves for action, or it means on your marks. Get ready, get focused, centre down your attention. We had a look at the, uh, what it is to be obedient children and the fact that holiness uh, is a natural result of drawing close to God. We, we get wrapped up in what we have to stop. We get wrapped up in what it is that we, we have to cut out of our lives without realising that if we just press in closer to God, we will turn around and organically we have moved away from those things in our lives. There's no systems there's no rules and regulations, we just naturally come closer to God and that pulls us away from everything else. And of course we saw the fear of the Lord and we're not going to leave the theme of the fear of the Lord as we work our way through this epistle. Uh, in fact it centres everything that Peter wants to say and this whole epistle hinges on a verse in chapter 3 that we will get to which speaks of honouring Christ as Lord in our hearts. And if you read that in the original Greek, the honour there speaks of sanctify. And whenever we sanctify anything or anybody, we are taking something from the ordinary and putting it into the very special in our lives. And what Peter is aiming to get, the message he's aiming to convey to suffering Christians under pressure is make sure that God has the number one place in your life. The whole epistle hinges on that. Make sure you take God from the ordinary to the very special in your life. I want to look today as we do at verse 18, we will start at verse 18, and I want to centre this morning on the word ransom. What does Peter mean when he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers? And uh, there will be extra points of water for anybody that can uh, answer this. Uh, there was an event that happened on July the 10th, 1973. A young 16-year-old boy was kidnapped. Can anybody remember who his name was? Very famous. July the 10th, 1973. John Paul Getty III. Yes. John Paul Getty III was kidnapped in, uh, in Italy by some thugs. And after two days of being kidnapped, they demanded a $17 million ransom. Sounds large, doesn't it? But it was pocket change for Getty Sr. Because Getty Sr. was an oil tycoon who had more money than cents 
This is a very sad story because uh, John Paul Getty III, he was kidnapped. His dad is somewhat of a, uh, we see, if you watch the movie recently, uh, All the Money in the World, uh, you will see that his dad was somewhat of a drug addict and, and wasn't very close. The, the whole family wasn't really close. Uh, Getty Sr. was a very hard man, uh, didn't show much emotion, um, but he was worth uh, an extraordinary amount of money. And after a period of time, his captors got sick of this whole process that was taken forever. And we see that the process that was taking forever was also John Getty Sr. could reduce the amount. The movie portrays a man that's trying to reduce the amount. And they end up cutting off his ear and sending it to a newspaper to to show that they are serious. Here's the saddest part of the end of that story is that John Getty Sr. does actually pay the ransom. He reduces the amount to $3 million, but it hasn't finished yet. You see, he, he paid $2.2 million out of his own pocket. Why? Because that's the maximum amount he could claim as a tax deduction. He, he then lent the other 800000 to his son at 4% interest. And you wonder why the family's a mess. John Paul Getty III would die at age 54 from a life prone to alcoholism. After he was successfully released from his captors, He was told by his mother, you know, you should ring your grandfather and say thank you. And his grandfather sat by the phone and wouldn't pick it up. Doesn't speak of value, does it? Doesn't show much value, really, does it? Uh, The flip side of that, I remember a movie that I thought was a great movie, 1996. Mel Gibson stars in a movie called Ransom. And his son is taken. He is a a wealthy entrepreneur in the airline industry, as portrayed. And his son is kidnapped by, as it turns out, an FBI agent. Towards the end of the story, we find that out. And, of course, the movie goes along where he flips everything and and he says, I'll pay a ransom. I'll pay an amount if you can tell me where my son is. He tries to flip the coin. But I love at the end of it because he's in the car, he's got the money in the boot, he's, he's en route to giving it to this guy and they're having a conversation on the phone and, and, and Mel Gibson says to him in the character, he says, you know, he says, why did you pick me? And the guy says to him, he says, you know, he says there was an incident in, your, in the history where the unions had an uproar and everything like that and you paid them off. He said, we picked you and we picked your son because we knew you would pay. That's the story of God, isn't it? He would pay. In fact, we're going to see by the end of this scripture here, God had already determined, I'll pay the ransom. Before man was ever even created, before the first star ever even shone, God had determined, these guys are going to mess it up and I've already written the check. To ransom somebody is to purchase someone's freedom by paying that ransom. And the word here could also be translated redeem, but it means to purchase the freedom of a slave or a hostage held by an enemy. Let's have a look at what Peter says. He says that, verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed, we were ransomed from something and with and by something. And those two things are profound. The first one is we are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. And what he's saying here is the word from doesn't speak away from, it speaks out of. 
You were redeemed. You were ransomed out of your futile way of life. And that word futile is fantastic because it completely sums up the life that everybody leads outside of Christ. It is an empty, it is a meaningless, worthless life. It is, a, it is walking down a dead-end street. That's what it means. You were ransomed from that. And the fact that we were ransomed speaks a beautiful truth. Nobody in this room had the funds to ransom themselves. We need to hold on to that truth as we move forward. Because we were ransomed from our futile, empty way of life by... Let's have a look what we were ransomed by. What was the amount that God would pay for you? You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, no, 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 but with the precious blood of Christ. Can you imagine the conversation in heaven? God says, let us make men in our image. You know, the conversation, us, speaks of more than, you know, there's, there's obviously relationship there to begin with. Let us make man in our image. And, and I, I just imagine the conversation with God saying, you know what, we're going we're gonna to create man, we're going to give him the earth, but you know they're going to mess it up. We're going to put the tree in the garden, and, and we know they're going to mess it up. And somebody's going to, and you, you can already see Jesus is nodding, I'll go. You know, he's on the edge of his seat, just tell me when I've got to go. We'll pay whatever we have to pay. We'll get them back. There's something beautiful about a ransom. You know, the amount depicts the value. I don't know. John Getty Sr., he spoke to his grandson and said, this is how much I value you. I'm going to negotiate these guys down as much as I can and then I'm going to pay the only... I'm only going to pay the amount that is tax deductible. What does God say? This is all I've got. This is all I've got. There's another ransom story that begins with God creating us. There was a tree placed in the garden because God knew that the minute choice was introduced, the parameters of love expanded dramatically. And we messed it up. And we were all taken hostage. And the price that was demanded for our release, we couldn't pay it. We couldn't pay it. And right from that moment, we see that redemption is put in place. You see, Genesis to Revelation is the story of Jesus Christ coming to earth for us right from the beginning. We'll have a look at more of that as we move along. You are ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This blood is no ordinary blood. This blood is not the same as a bull or a goat or, or anything else. This is, this is the blood of God himself. This blood, is, it, it stands for our removal of our judicial guilt before God. That's number one. You see, this blood, when it cleanses you, oh, it's so much different now. This blood, uh, Hebrews 9.14 tells us that it clears, it cleans not only the outside, but it clears our conscience before God. That is profound. Now you can stand before God because of the blood of Jesus Christ with your conscience cleansed. You see, Hebrews is, it speaks of the sacrificial language and it's talking about the Old Testament sacrifices. They could clean up the outside of the cup of dish. But Jesus' blood 
cleans our conscience. It determines bold access to God. Hebrews 10, 19 tells us that by the blood of Christ, we draw near to God. The very reason that we can say the words, our Father, is because Jesus spilled his blood for us. And of course, we see that in John 1, verse 7, it speaks of progressively removing sin from our lives. We will wrestle with sin all the days that we are here. But thank God for the blood of Jesus. Because how many know we're probably going to make a mistake or two? You don't have to bring your bulls and goats anymore. And Peter finishes this verse with, you were purchased with the precious, precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. And he's speaking again, he alludes to the Old Testament sacrifices. Every one of them spoke of Christ. The lamb had to be brought, it had to be the choicest of your lambs. It had to be without defect. It had to be without any kind of abnormality because it was a shadow of what God was preparing as a sacrifice for us. We read in Malachi, the prophet Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament. And who would have ever thought that God would say to his people, basically, he says, you know, when it comes to church, you guys shut the doors. Who would have, who would have thought that God would ever say, just close the temple down? But he did. The voice of Malachi is, you guys just close the, close the temple down. Why? Because you're not giving me any honour. You're not giving me any respect. Why? Because when you bring sacrifices, you're bringing blind lambs. You're bringing defected. Why? Because it's, a, it's, a, it's an offence to, to Christ. It's an offence to God. Like a lamb without spot or blemish. Verse 20 says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And we know that foreknowledge speaks of God's predetermination. God's foreknowledge over us is God's predetermination to set his love and his affection on us. God is like the hound of heaven that chases after our hearts. But Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, which is what we just mentioned. You know, God didn't go, whoops, what are we going to do now? No, no, no. No, in the Garden of Eden, God already knew exactly what he was going to do. And redemption is put in place immediately. God had predetermined before the world was even founded that he would send Jesus. And then it says that he was made manifest. He was, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of us. And, and to make something manifest is to unveil or to lay bare or to reveal You know, Galatians tells us, Paul tells us in Galatians that uh, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, when the time had fully come. And we see that right through the Old Testament, God is preparing the way for Jesus. This is the beautiful story of the gospel. And we're going to have a look at the the gospel story in, in greater detail in a moment. But can I tell you, so many people think that when it comes to the gospel, we start with the gospel as the basics and the foundations of the Christian faith and we move on to the deep things of God. Can I tell you this morning, as we will see, the gospel is the deep things of God. Here's another mistake we make when it comes to the gospel message. We think it's just for unbelievers. Mm. No, the gospel is just as much for every one of us. 
Here's how we could sum up the gospel in so many ways, isn't it? We come down to verse 21, it says, and who through him? You know, if you could... uh, If we could sum up the gospel message, and we will do that by the time we finish here today, it would be the words, through him. I come to God through Christ. I am saved and I enter salvation through him. My sins are forgiven through him. I will spend an eternity with God through him. I know God through Christ. It's all about Christ. Peter says, Through him, we are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that our faith is in Christ. Could you throw up the first quote, please, Karen? Could you please meet me in probably the verse, I think, that sums up the gospel message? I want to talk about the gospel message. Charles Spurgeon says that we should avoid a sugared gospel as you would shun sugar of lead. Seek that gospel which rips up and tears and cuts and wounds and hacks and even kills. For that is the gospel that makes alive again. And when you have found it, give good heed to it. Let it enter into your inmost being as the rain soaks into the ground. So pray the Lord to let his gospel soak into your soul. J.I. Packer, a leading theologian of today's time, was asked, take all that we know and sum the gospel up in one sentence. So he did so, and I think he did it very well. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that is a profound sentence. It's actually scripture. It's found in Timothy. This is a trustworthy saying. I think it's Timothy 3.15. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And the profoundness of that is that all of us in this room are sinners. All of us in this room needed saving. And the gospel that C.H. Spurgeon is pointing to here, the transformation that happens in our hearts is exactly what happens when the gospel comes to the human heart. We're going to have a look at an example when we finish today of what happens. But when the gospel reaches the human heart, it rips, it tears, it tears attitudes apart, it tears worldviews apart, it tears uh, our selfishness and self-absorption apart, and it tears our pride apart. For those that are following Rock Reflections, you'll understand that uh, God makes war on pride in our hearts. We do not start at the gospel and move on to the profound things. As I said, the gospel is the deep and profound thing of God. Our thoughts and our attitudes and everything must come in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's have a look at what this message is. And can I tell you this morning, the word gospel basically means good news. And I have some good news for everybody sitting in this room this morning. Got some great news for you. Let's start off with, uh, by the way, everybody's Bible will probably pen these words in red. Yes, they may have been quoted from Christ, but it is John that is writing this. John is going on from what is said to Nicodemus. And he says, for God so loved the world. Let's read the whole verse because we don't know it now. So we'll read it, of course. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Let's rip this apart and have a little bit of a look at what John's trying to tell us. For God loved the world. For means uh, what has come previous. He's alluding to what has come previous. And uh, in the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, he finishes with the analogy of when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And the story looks basically like this. Uh, 
judgment had come upon the people of Israel because of their grumbling and their moaning. And so therefore, uh, snakes were introduced and they were bitten. The people were dying and they cried out to Moses, save us. And what does Moses do? Uh, God says to Moses, put a serpent on a pole and lift it up. And for everybody that will cast their gaze and cast their attention, whilst it is transfixed upon the serpent on the pole, they will be healed of the poison. Poison will have no effect on them. Sounds a little bit like our days today. For those who will live their lives with their gaze upon the person of Jesus Christ, the poison will have no effect on you. A.W. Tozer says that the life of faith is a life lived with a redirected gaze. Our gaze is upon God. And in this way, in this way, when Christ was lifted up on a pole for us, uh, because for God so loved the world could also mean this is how God loved the world. He sent Jesus to be lifted up on a pole for us. This does not reference the degree or the extent, but it speaks of the manner that God displays his love. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you're wondering, I wonder if God loves me. I wonder how much God loves me. Friends, cast your gaze to the cross. Cast your gaze to the one whose arms were spread out on the cross and was still crying out, forgive them. For God so loved the world, and the, world, the word for world there means all of humanity in general, which is very important. We'll speak more about that in a moment. Love will always have an action. And here we see that God so loved the world, he did something deeply profound. He gave us his son. God was the first one to raise the white flag. God was the first one to declare, let's put an end to this hostility. Before we leave here today, we'll see how this all applies to each one of us. The gospel puts everyone in this room and everybody outside of this room, it puts us all on the same level. That's what I love about the gospel. It puts us all on the same place and in the same need. None are better than the others. And the act of love that God has displayed in sending his son was for each and every person. Let's keep on reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, underline the word whoever, circle the word whoever, and highlight the word whoever. Because now whoever believes extends to, it doesn't matter what colour your skin is, it doesn't matter what your social class is, it doesn't matter what your level of education is, it doesn't matter what country you're born in, you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to live another second separated from God and nothing in the physical has got anything to do with it. You don't have to gain God's acceptance. Can you see that God gave his son while we still hated him? Can you see that God gave his son when we were still at distance from him? We wanted nothing to do with him. What does God do? He gives. We don't move, we don't have to earn God's acceptance, we already have it. That's the gospel. And the gospel is that the person sitting next to you needs Jesus as much as what you do, and nobody's better than anybody else. That's the wonderment of the gospel. And it absolutely shattered the people of Israel. 
The religious folk of this day couldn't get it and they couldn't get over this because they thought it was just for them. It's interesting when we read the Gospels, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven and when he was speaking about hell, he was mostly speaking to the religious people of that day, warning them that their self-righteousness was taking them away from God. Whoever believes, and we know that John uses the word believe different to what we may even think. It's not just a mental cognition. It's not something we agree with in our minds, but it is something that looks at all of our life. The word believe here is a verb and it speaks of casting all of our confidence, all of our trust upon Christ. Oh, there's an irony to this gospel. It is absolutely free, friends, but I I need to warn everybody in this room. As your pastor, I need to warn you, this gospel is completely free. You could not earn it. You could not pay it. Your salvation is paid for. It's free. But mark my words, it will cost you everything. Jesus did not put that in the fine print. He put it as a bold heading across the top. Salvation is free because you can't pay for it. But he made it clear that if you follow him, you must take up your cross. Can I tell you that when you stand before Jesus, it won't be what you know. It'll be who you know. What Jesus says to those is, I never knew you. What's the importance? Who you know. Have a look at that in a moment. Whoever believes, places their trust. That's what believe means. You could walk outside this room now. You could walk down to the shopping centre or whatever and say, hey, you could say to a heap of people, do you believe in God? Most people will say, yeah, I believe in God. But it doesn't look like much in their life, does it? And what John is saying is believe has to look like something. Don't tell me you love God but hate the person sitting next to you. John says that's an oxymoron. Don't tell me you've come in contact with the free grace of God but you're going to go on sinning however you want. He says you don't get grace. The gospel transforms, it renews, it redeems and it pays a ransom. Friends, can I tell you, God paid the price. He walks into everybody's life, he unlocks the door, he releases the chains, but so many people choose to sit in the prison cell. The doors are wide open, there's no guards. Jesus defeated them all. But people choose to sit in their prison cells. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Should not perish. And perish means to spend an eternity away from God. I want to make one thing clear. C.S. Lewis says that the gates of hell are locked on the inside. Eternity is that grave. I don't want to, I don't want to mix words, but I want you to know that there will be, there will, you will either live with God in eternity or you will live separate from God in eternity. When the Hebrew word for death means to be separate. So when God says to Adam, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Who knows that Adam lived till he was something like 900 years old? He did. So it didn't mean a physical death, although that did come in slowly into mankind. But what we do see is there is, a, it speaks of a separation. What God was saying was, the moment you sin, there's going to be a separation. And true death is separation from God. And C.S. Lewis says that uh, God honours everybody's decision right to the end. If you hear a gospel that says we all make it to heaven some way, reject it. It's not true. 
Let me be clear, it's not a biblical gospel. There is one way that you will spend eternity with God and that is by accepting the person of Jesus Christ. No other way. You won't get there by coming to church every Sunday. You won't get there by reading the Bible every day. You will get there by knowing the person of Jesus Christ. That is the only way. C.S. Lewis says we are willing rebels to the end. You know, the gospel is not about systems. It's not about believing in a philosophy. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about the most glorious person in the universe, Jesus Christ. Catherine Booth got that. Catherine Booth was the wife of William Booth. Together they founded the Salvation Army. William Booth felt the call of God in his life and spent the whole day preaching in the slums of London. He comes home, beaten up, blood, everything, you know, thrown eggs and tomatoes at him. And Catherine says, my goodness, what happened, William? And he says, that's what I want to do. This is what I want to do. He couldn't deter him. And he founded the Salvation Army, a beautiful movement. But Catherine Booth says the gospel that represents Jesus Christ, not as a system of truth to be received into the mind, as I should receive a system of philosophy or astronomy, but it represents him as a real, living, mighty saviour, able to save me now. There is a reward. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but, this is a great but, this one, but have eternal life. And so often we think that eternal life begins when we leave this life, but it begins now. Jesus said in John 17 verse 3, he said, this is eternal life that they may know you and you can know God today. There are five major proofs for the existence of God. We will cover them another time. Number five, and the biggest one is that God can be known and experienced personally today. And there are billions of people that will put their hand up today and say, I have experienced the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. This wonderful gospel is sweeping through nations you would never have thought that it was going to sweep through. It is taking hold of places like China. Muslim people who are so far from God are dreaming dreams of this Jesus. It's amazing how God will get his hands on people. We're going to have a look at that tonight with the story of Philemon. But it's amazing how God gets hold of people. These, these Muslims are dreaming dreams. I remember Ravi Zacharias is talking to a, a gentleman who's in America. And this gentleman said, my story is I began to have dreams of this Jesus. He said, I'd never even heard of him. But he appeared in my dreams and he said, I told my mum. He says, mum, I keep having the dreams of this Jesus. What does it mean? And she puts him on a plane and says, you've got to get out of here because your father and brother will kill you if you mention that name in this house. So that she puts him on a plane to America. For seven years, every night, he has a dream of the person of Jesus Christ. And then he's gloriously saved at a church meeting one Sunday night. And Ravi Zacharias says, wow. He says, and what's the greatest thing that's happened in your life since you met Christ? He says, I stopped having the dreams. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God gets hold of people? Eternal life is for now. Eternal life in knowing God is for the right here and the right now. And you might be sitting here this morning and saying, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. You know what? I don't care. Because we've all got a past that we would like to leave there. This is a free 
gift from God. That's good news. Because when God should have wiped us off the face of the planet, he sent his son. As I bring this to a close, I'll ask the worship team if they come up. I want to give this some flesh and bones. There was a man that was born in the 1700s. And this man, he is born, his mum is, is, loves the Lord dearly and always prayed that this man would follow on into the ministry. But she dies when he's aged just seven years of age. By the time he's 11, he's, he's on the ship with his dad, sailing the high seas quite often. This man would live a life very, very, very far from God. Sailors in the 1700s had a reputation for being very debaucherous, but none of them had a reputation like this man. And this man ends up on a slave ship, being a slave merchant from from Africa back to England. He ends up a slave himself for a short period of time because one of the guys he's sailing a ship for puts him into slavery. But he's released... And in 1747, he jumps on the boat called the Greyhound and he's headed for the shores of London and they hit a storm like they'd never hit before. It it's threatens the complete integrity of the boat and uh, holes are beginning to form in the boat and him and another guy rush to the upper deck and the guy before him is swept off the deck by a wave and never seen again. And this man grabs hold of the wheel And John Newton grabs hold of the wheel and for 11 hours he cries out to God for mercy as he hangs on to that wheel through the storm. At the age of 39, John Newton would enter into, he would be ordained into ministry in England. He would leave the slave trade because something had impacted his heart. He would leave the slave trade and he said, you know what, as a minister I decided that we should write a hymn every week that we should sing. And of course, he wrote the most famous hymn that we still sing today. I want to read these words to you, friends, because a slave trader, a man that mistreated other people, but it was the culture of the day to do so. William Wilberforce would join hands with John Newton and they would radically transform Parliament and the culture of that day concerning slave traders. But he pens these words and we all know them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourself, I am a wretch, friends, welcome to the club. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears Relieved, How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within, these are great words, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will be forever mine.
When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. John Newton would put his hand up and say, when the gospel gets hold of your heart, it will transform the way you live. John Newton would say, when I encountered amazing grace, I could no longer look at these people upon a boat as slaves. He would distance himself from the slave trade. He would fight with William Wilberforce in a parliament. By the time it gets to the end, it was Newton and it was Wilberforce. But something gripped John Newton's heart. And he would always point back to that night when he hung onto the wheel for 11 hours and say, that was the turning point in my life. Sometimes we need to be thankful when God sends storms in our lives. Sometimes we need to be thankful of whatever it is that points us towards the gospel. But the truth of the matter is that God has ransomed us. That's what Peter says. You've been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. And this gospel, when it grips our hearts, it changes everything. It changes how we view God. It changes how we view everybody else around us. And it changes how we view ourselves. That God would pay everything he had for you. Augustine says God loves each and every one of us as if there was only one of us. If you were the only one lost in your sins, I have no doubt that God would have still sent Jesus. If you were just the only one. What a wonderful saviour we have. What amazing grace this is. Let us pray. Jesus, we don't have... We don't have English words that we can use adequately enough to express our thanks. My only prayer is that each one of us would not only with our lips but with all of our lives would worship you. Jesus, you are the king that stepped down into our mess to pay our ransom. I thank you, Jesus, that you paid our ransom and you came here for that specific purpose. May our lives honour you and live for you, I pray. In your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.